Red light means go, baby. Red means go. In this situation, <laughs> red means go. Got it. Got it. All right, guys, welcome to this week's Yawa. We have some really cool announcements, a little bit of chitter chatter about the cool stuff that's going on here. And then we're going to get to some of your questions. Yes. So if you guys have been following us on social media as well as our YouTube channel, um, if you don't, you can hit that subscribe button so that you now follow us. Uh, you will have seen that we actually just made a trip out to New York to visit Bob Owens with Lone Duck and got to do some pretty cool stuff with him while we were out there. Yeah, first of all, they're in central New York, which um, just, I was kind of explained, is kind of on the line of a big New York um, change in scenery. More or less. The trees changed, the fields changed, it's kind of more rolling and different, everything else. And it was very, very pretty country. Um, I'm a huge fan of traveling and it's a lot of fun to be able to see the differences and things that you take for granted. People come out here and they go, wow, there's so much openness and green grass fields and all of these things. And you go, yeah, it's Kansas. I mean, it's where we live. And then you go someplace else and you know, like when we go out to Montana, it's big rolling hills, it's just grass. There's virtually no trees or very, very few. And you go, wow, this is beautiful country. And the people are like, yeah, it's Montana. You know, I mean, it's just one of those things. And it was cool to go see that. It's always, it's always fun to see different parts of the United States. Definitely. As well as we got to see a little bit different training than we, uh, work with on a daily basis with the, you know, pointing breeds. Yes. And yes, we work with some retrievers, but not to the level that we got to see out there, um, which is why we are super excited about our new little lab puppy. Yeah. On average, I would say the the labs that come in with us are pretty basic stuff. It's like, hey, can you get my lab to retrieve uh, retrieve, and be obedient and flush birds, flush some birds and um, the stuff that we got to see as well as I got the opportunity to handle. If you don't follow us on Instagram, we did an Instagram live showing where Bob actually handed off Memphis to me, which is one of his finished females, and said, all right, try and handle her to these uh, blinds. And by try and handle her, it was more like try not screw this up because if you do it even remotely right, she's going to handle this. And we did uh, essentially 200-ish yard, and then we did one that was just shy of 300-yard blind, and then a real, real easy one to finish out that was like 100, 100 yards. And to say that a 100-yard blind is real, real easy – um, is saying something because I she I know made it look easy. She made it look easy, yeah. and it was cool because it gave us another perspective on you know Ethan's handling this dog to blinds with casts, and which things is something like that. I don't have a ton of experience. In. Right, and Bob did a great job telling him when to blow the whistle, what he was supposed to be doing, which gave us a definite different perspective for us when we send dogs home from training because we were essentially handling a dog that we don't really know what we're doing and or yeah. Ethan doesn't know what he's doing and the dog doesn't know me. Yeah. You know, I mean, and it was cool to see, okay, why should I be doing this? Oh, blow the whistle. Like you mean it. Got it. You know, things like that. And those are the same type of things that we work with our clients with when they come and pick up a dog that has been in for training. And we're like, Oh, Nope. You need to say it this way, or you need to do a little leash pressure this way, or just subtle things that you don't always think about because it almost becomes second nature for us. And yes. it was a cool perspective to be on the other side of that coin. Which um, Kat and I are always trying to learn. We're always trying to improve what we're doing. And being able to experience that firsthand gives us an idea on how we can better help our customers and our training clients on taking the extra time and pushing you all to understand the importance of coming and picking up your dog and making sure you've scheduled enough time that we can help that transition to be easy to you. Yes, definitely. So, and it also got us super pumped up and excited about what we could potentially be able to do with this little black lab puppy that we've got. Um, obviously like not next week, but in the future training goals. So we're really excited about that as well. So coming up, we have a video coming out with how to fly with a puppy. Something that we talk about a lot, and especially with our puppy buyers, is that we don't ship dogs. I'm not a huge fan of shipping dogs. 
Um, and on occasion we will ship an adult dog because it's a different level of being able to handle the stress and the, the things that go along with that. But for the most part, you got to come pick up your puppy and the questions that come up with is how do we do this? this We're from Pennsylvania. We're from California. That's going to be a 20 hour drive. And we say, well, you could fly. And they're like, really? It's almost like a thought that doesn't occur to people. Because they don't want to put the puppy in the plane. Well, you don't put the puppy in the plane. You actually carry them on as if they were your personal item. And having that puts the puppy in a drastically less stressful environment. I mean, it's a few hours. It's our, our total flight time from the time we got to the airport and the time we were out done with everything, I think was less than seven hours. Oh, definitely less than that. Six and a half hours, maybe, which ultimately is a fairly long crate time for a little puppy, but it was pickup day kind of deal. You know, it is a little bit stressful just that travel to a new environment, a new situation, but he pretty much slept the entire time. Yes. And um, when we were in the plane, he really didn't make a peep. I mean, he Mm -hmm. chilled out and slept. And if I needed to put my hand in the crate and just give him a little pet, say, hey, I'm here, buddy. He was completely fine. So it is going to be coming out the day after this video comes out. So make sure that you're watching for it because it's going to be a very cool thing to see as well as informative if this is something that you're interested in doing as well. Then we're going to be moving right into a full series with him. Now, this series is going to look a little bit different than Sprig's series. And the reason is he's a different dog, different personality. Um, He is an American lab, bred lab versus a British bred lab. And there's going to be differences in that. The other side of it is we're going to try and fill in the gaps that we maybe missed with Sprig's series. Now, we're going to start his first training introduction video with we're going to need some help to give him a name. Yes. And we're going to definitely so ask for that. Thinking. We're definitely going to start ask for thinking. that in his. Start thinking. Now, those are words that are better. We're definitely going to be asking for name suggestions in that video, which we'll be shooting here today, <laughs> but it yes. won't be posted today. It's essentially um, covering the first 24 hours that we've had him here at Standing Stone Kennels. Yes. So lots of really excited things coming up with another puppy series. So stay tuned for that. And like I said, if you don't subscribe and have notifications turned on, do that so you don't miss these videos. Absolutely. Let's answer a question from Scott McLeod. Hey guys, I have a question for you. It would seem like obtaining a puppy in the spring would be the best time in terms of training them when the weather has broken, especially if where you're living in the upper peninsula of Mis- of Michigan. Woo-woo! UP! Is there any benefit at all to picking up your puppy in the fall if you live where I do? So this is a good question. Is there any benefit of picking it up in the fall? Is that what the... That was the end part of that? Yes. Okay. You got so excited about the UP excited. that you didn't listen to the rest of the question. No, I was just like, huh, I wonder where in the UP lives okay. instantly. So the question was head. basically about timing of picking up a puppy. Is springtime the best, especially mm-hmm. if you live somewhere with cold climates? I'm sure uh, the UP gets lots and lots and lots and lots of snow. Yeah, we know this. We have some friends up there, so we've heard all of the complaints. Yes. Um, and would there be a benefit of giving getting a puppy in the fall? So this is a really good question about timing, about getting a puppy. Sure, there's things that you can consider as far as like climate goes and things like that. Bringing home a puppy, let's say you're getting a puppy from us, bringing home a puppy that's been raised in Kansas and it's January in the UP, I would say your biggest struggle is going to be potty training. Yeah. Snow on the ground. Puppy doesn't want to stand outside, squat and touch its hoo-hoo to the ice. Yeah. It's It's going to be cold. It's going to be uncomfortable. They're not going to want to spend enough time outside. You're not going to want to stand outside with them to spend enough time to make sure that they do it. Yes. So definitely those are for sure things to consider. Um, as well as, you know, if you're getting a puppy in the fall, and winter's right around the corner, you're going to have to wait for some of those things like water introductions because we want to set our puppies up for success and doing a water introduction when there is almost to the point of ice forming on the water isn't going to be a great idea. So let's face it. The only time the water is really warm enough (laughs) up there is like a couple of days 
maybe even just a couple of hours in the middle of August or something, right before, right when the, the summer, yeah, all we like one week of the summer has had time to warm that water up enough before August 15th turns off to the first snowstorm. We actually went in May <laughs> and I have to share this story because it was um, shocking. Literally. Literally. So we went in May to visit some friends up in the UP, and this was the first time that we'd had the opportunity to sauna. Now, if you're from anywhere other than the UP, you probably refer to this as a sauna, sitting in a hot box, sweating your your butt off, and it's referred to as a sauna up there. Correct us if we pronounce that wrong still yet. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I got it right. But we would sit in there, and then they had right out the door, a dock to the lake. So we're all... This is an interesting thing. There were cabins all around this little lake, right? And every single one of them had their little uh, sauna sitting there with a a quick walk to the dock that you could run and jump in and cool off in the lake and then go back and then sweat your balls off again. Yeah. So we were like, yeah, this will be fun. We're up for that. So when in Rome, right? Yeah. So we sat in the sauna for a while, got really hot and sweaty. And then it's like, okay, let's go jump in the lake. So we did. And oh my gosh, that was a total shock to the system. First of all, we were just sitting in a room that's like, what, 180 degrees, give or take? Hot. And then we go and jump in the water because we were in May. You know, the water, the ice had just left last (laughs) week and the water had to have been 37 degrees. I think it was maybe like 50. Yeah, it, it was, was cold. cold. Even 50 degree water is pretty chilly. Oh, it's very driving. chilly, especially coming from 180 or mm-hmm. whatever we it's were a big sitting swing. in. So we ran off the dock, jumped in. I come up out and they're like, oh my gosh, there was blood gushing down my face from this a is nosebleed. The first and only nosebleed that she's had in her entire I've life. I've never, ever, ever had a nosebleed before or since. And it was all due to the shock of that heat change difference. So, um, it was, it was very shocking, like I said, kind of an experience, but we digress. Uh, what I wanted to explain, though, is that type of water introduction would be pretty tough on a puppy, and they're not sure going to be super be. comfortable with that. So we definitely want to consider what our goals are with a puppy. And if you do happen to get a puppy and timing just works out that you're getting a puppy in the fall and winter's right around the corner for you, you're into cold weather, cool weather, just be patient. Holding off on that water introduction until the spring or summer or whenever your water warms up enough isn't going to make or break your dog's water instinct. What's going to make or break your dog's water instinct is getting impatient and saying, well, you're four months old. I got to get you in the water now or you're never going to love the water. And then you do it in a shocking type of way that your puppy's like, that wasn't fun. Don't want to do that again. You create a traumatic situation in that impression stage. Yeah. And so definitely making sure that you're just patient and say, hey, we're going to wait until the water warms up. Work on other things like building bumper drive, building retrieve desire. Those are all things that you can do on land. Those are all things that you can do even inside. Um, And then, like we mentioned, the biggest thing you're probably going to struggle with is just that potty training side of things. Yeah, I would say overall, depending on exactly what happens, I mean, if you bring that puppy home right in the middle of hunting seasons, eight weeks old, you're not going to be able to get a lot of experience. Um, but if you're later, once hunting season's already over, that's still considered winter. If you're early enough to where the puppy can get through some of those basics, like a bird and gunfire introduction, and you take them out kind of one-on-one or with your one other older dog, and you keep those situations, don't take them out in front of 10 guns and say, hey, good luck. But if it's just you and a buddy and you are conscious of where the puppy's at, you can start to incorporate wild bird experience even with that young puppy. A lot of people say things like, oh, they've got to be a year old before we can do any of this, or they've got to be, they've got to be, they've got to be. Um, it's more important to have the prerequisites, which, which we've involve, actually talked about in one of our other videos, like the must haves before you take your dog hunting. So yeah. we'll put a little linky here for that video because it's it's a good one. It is a good one, and it would cover. If your dog has those things, they're ready to go, and they need the experience. The faster they get that experience, the faster they can mature into the dog that you ultimately want to hunt with. Yeah, but if you think about it and you get a puppy in the spring, you've got all summer, early fall to prep them as well, and then you should be able to take them hunting that first season. And most likely, if you've done your your homework, done your groundwork, done all the basics, that fall of their first season is going to be maybe a little more productive than if you get a puppy very early on in the fall that you've 
barely gotten the prerequisites taken care of, and then you're taking them out just to get them a little experience and a little exposure. But again, just be patient either way and make sure your dog is really actually ready for what you want to be trying to do with them. Absolutely. And all the way around, I would say you probably are best off to try and get a puppy, you know, in the spring. Just based on where you're at. But, you know, we can't always control mother nature and timing on things. And if you're on a specific litter that doesn't get born until August, they're not going home until October. Yeah. I wouldn't pass on the right combination of dog for you. That's, I mean, just because you're going to be set back, quote unquote, a a couple months, months. just be patient. And then, like I said, work on the things that you can work on, um, early on. So absolutely. Great question. Next question that I want to answer is, uh, where did it go? Okay. This is a good one about teaching old dogs, new tricks. This is from Eddie Brock. I'm not sure if when you're taking quite, Oh, he was just asking if he can send me a Yawa question this way. I said, yes, cause I'm answering it. I have a 13. <laughs> Speaking of how to get your Yawa questions out, we are taking primarily questions from YouTube comments. So if you're watching this and you spark a little question in your mind, throw it in the comments below here and we'll be doing our best to answer those for you. Yes. So I have a 13 year old puggle who has not had any obedience training other than sit. A puggle. What is that combination? A pug and poodle, maybe? Pug. Pu- wouldn't puddle? that be a poodle? Oh, no, a puddle? A puggle? Producer. Google that. Oh, let's look. Um, so, doesn't have any obedience other than sitting for a snack. When somebody rings the doorbell. Ah, it's a crossbreed between a beagle and a pug. Ah, there we go. Puggle. Puggle. When somebody rings oh, the doorbell. Cute. Look at that. Oh, they are really cute. I expected bigger ears. Yeah, I bet some of them do. Yeah. Anyway. When somebody rings the doorbell, she goes crazy barking and running to the door. I'm getting a Vishla in seven weeks. Congratulations. And I don't want him to pick up any of these sloppy habits as he will be training through your recommendations and video series. Awesome. Really great things to follow along with when you're working with your new puppy. What steps do I need to make to make sure the negative behavior isn't passed on to the new puppy. So this is a really good question. And I think a lot of people actually have this question or feel like they're going to struggle with this. They say, I don't want my new puppy picking up all these bad habits that my older dog has. And I want to maybe didn't necessarily have the same expectations for, or know that I was creating bad habits or, you know, that things were, you know, not getting conditioned properly and they don't want to make mistakes with their new dog, but they also need to be able to have expectations for both. So this is a good question. And if your puggle already knows how to sit for a snack, you can continue in their food motivated. You can continue training other proper behaviors before you get your Vishla with clicker training. So the series that you're talking about following along with, with our puppies, you can apply those same behaviors, those same expectations to your older dog. Now, Can you teach an older dog new tricks? Of course. It just usually takes longer because she's had 13 years to be conditioned to her ways of barking like crazy and running to the door when people come over. So some of these naughty habits are very, 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 add a few more varies, ingrained in her at this point. So you want to make sure that you're able to teach all the basics using that positive reinforcement and clicker training. One of the main ones that I would highly recommend is place training, which is going to be a huge help for you, um, not only when you have those people ringing the doorbell coming over, but also going to help when you bring your new puppy home, that transition of them being at the house and not necessarily needing everybody running all over like crazy. Um, you can hold your puggle and then start working on these same obedience things with your new Vishla to the same expectation of, Hey, we need a kennel. We need to settle down. We're not bouncing around the house. We're not barking our heads off. So, um, start with basics, clicker training, and then even with your puggle, You can call or condition those behaviors after you have a firm understanding so that she doesn't just want to sit or kennel when you have a treat or a snack in your hand. She will do those behaviors even when you don't, and you can condition them with the e-collar and what would be negative reinforcement training. Yeah, and it'll be a good warm-up. You've uh, started to incorporate those things, teaching a dog that doesn't necessarily know how to do them, and you're better prepared for your new puppy. Definitely. So really good question there. Hopefully that helps. 
Hey guys, that's all we have time for part one. We're going to take a short break here and then we'll be back with you very soon. All right, and welcome to part two of this week's Yawa, where we're going to talk about a lot of your amazing questions. If this is your first time to the channel, we want you to hit the subscribe button. We appreciate it. So things look a little different this morning, because this is morning, actually. It is morning. <laughs> we you know, just got back from our awesome New York trip, which if you missed out on some of those details, check out our first video of this week's Yawa, because we talked a lot about what that entailed going out to New York. But we're like, we're back. We need to get this Yawa shot so that it can get up and posted for you guys. And so we're morninging it, morninging it, morning it. It's morning. Although they say you can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning, drinking all day is not a goal of either of ours. So we are on the coffee. And I would just like to point out, I'm drinking my coffee. Wow, that is a very sexy blue modeled mug you have there. With standing stone kennels. So mm. this, um, and they're all handmade. Get you some. Yeah. So we have these on our website. Get you some. And they're all handmade, so they all are just slightly different. The glazing is just a little bit different. Um, but they are awesome. Microwave safe, dishwasher safe. All the things that I care about because I love coffee mugs, but I do not like hand washing them. So... Get you some. And then Ethan's drinking out of a really cool... Absolutely. Somebody that knows me quite well, which would be Jess, our trainer, got me a uh, stay cool pigeon mug. (laughs) Yeah, so got a drink out of that. But we want to get started answering some questions right away, right? Or do you have another announcement that I missed? Announcements, announcements, announcements. No, answer some questions. Okay. And FYI, we're pulling all of these questions from YouTube comments. So if you were watching this and you go, man, I really have a question that I want you all to answer for me in the comments below. Yes. So this one is from Matt Eckel. Hey, Matt. Hi. I am currently training my five and a half month old GSP, the place Q. Very nice. I would prefer him to lay down on his bed, but I noticed all of your dogs are standing or sitting. Is this just preference or is there another reason behind why your dogs sit or stand? So this is a really good question. And I think it's one that we didn't necessarily know because again, sometimes things just become second nature for us, just really remote. And I don't even think about, well, would people have a question about this? So I was like, this needs to be answered. So if you're watching some of our puppy training videos, where we're working on place training and just introducing that behavior. So our puppy is super focused on training and they're food motivated and they're ready to work. And we're working on one specific behavior where they're going onto a dog bed. Then I'm marking that behavior. Then I need them to come off of the dog bed fairly quickly so I can get another rep and build and condition the behavior that I'm looking for. Typically, if we're looking at order that we're training puppies in, I've already taught them how to sit. Um, and then they will do a little bit of that, go on the dog bed and then sit because it's also another behavior that they've been rewarded for and they are learning something new. So they're like, well, if I go on the dog bed and I sit, I've been rewarded for sitting before. So I'm going to do that too, you know, (laughs) double my options of getting a food reward. So we haven't worked on teaching them how to lay down yet. So to them, it's not necessarily a behavior that they are like, oh, I'll get on the bed and then I'll lay down as well as we are trying to keep that momentum of the session going. So it's on, off, on, off the bed so that we can mark the behavior we're looking for at that point. As well as when we have some dogs that we're working on things like distance and duration on collar conditioning place on the dog beds, sometimes we're showing just such a short amount of the training session in a video that the dogs don't get a chance to just really settle in and lay down. Now, if you watch some of our Instagram stories and see some of the dogs in training, you'll probably see a little bit more of them just laying down and relaxing on their bed. Primarily laying down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it's not necessarily an expectation or personal preference. It's if we're working on place, that's all that I can expect and want out of the dog. I want them to go on their dog bed, stay there. Whether they're sitting, standing, or laying down, it doesn't matter as long as they don't get off the dog bed for me in most situations. Now, when we are teaching dogs how to lay down, which we do a lot of times through free shaping, 
we actually utilize our dog beds for that free shaping process because um, if I'm trying to teach a dog to lay down and I want it to be their idea first and they're just meandering around the house or meandering around the kennel, sniffing things, um, it's going to take a really long time. It's going to take a lot longer anyhow, for sure. For them to say, well, I'm just going to lay down and relax here because they're busy, especially a lot of the dogs that we're working with. They're working dogs, high drive. They are ready to work and laying down to them at this point, because they haven't learned that it's something they can be rewarded for, doesn't seem like work to them. So if we can contain them on a dog bed so they can't wander around, so they're collar conditioned, they know how to stay on a dog bed, they go there, and then I just wait them out. And they're eventually going to be like, huh, well, I'm not getting asked to do anything else at this point, and I'm not getting rewarded anymore. So I'm bored. Lay down. Mark that behavior. So then we're free shaping the behavior of them learning to lay down. And then I can transition that laying down behavior off of the dog bed. So once they've gotten really good and consistent at laying down, we free shape that behavior. I've introduced the cue. Then I can eliminate the dog bed and still use the cue on a down in a more open environment. The last thing to really touch on in that, which is an absolutely fantastic tip for people, because we do get people to ask, or people ask a lot of times, how do I teach my dog to lay down? And what Kat just mentioned is is one of the best. It's going to help them to figure it out the fastest and take the least direction from you all the way around where you're not having to push them down or help them sit and then lay down. Or bait them into a down. Yes. All of those things are eliminated by what Kat just mentioned. Now, the last thing is if you're going to be doing um, a stay on a dog bed, so either place or kennel or whatever word you're going to use is fine, um, and they're going to stay there for any extended period of time, you don't 100% have control over what they're doing. So rather than a cued kennel and then down where they may sit up or they may stand up or they may do anything, we're more interested in or more worried about the fact that they are staying in that sectioned off place. That's the key to that. So they're going to sit, they're going to lay down, they're going to stand up, they're going to do all of these things. But as long as they're not leaving there, that is going to be key. When they get more comfortable, they get better at it. It's going to be easier and their natural response is going to go there and lay down. And relax because they're like, well, now I'm here and I need to stay here until I'm released. So I'm just going to get comfy. Lay down. Yep. Great question. So really good question. All right. What do we have next? So this is a question that I wanted to answer because it also got a reply from somebody else on our YouTube channel, which I think is really really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool when we're going through comments, which... We get a lot of comments, so we don't get through them all, all the time. It's a lot, We try, folks. but it's a lot. And we, we appreciate the fact that you love it and everything else, but I'm just saying it's hard to keep up with. It so. is. And so when some of our other fans and subscribers and followers jump in and answer a question or put in their two cents, it's really cool because a lot of times those are things that we've already maybe talked about in another video that you may have missed because let's face it, guys, we put out a lot of content. Ethan actually asked me the other day, he's like, did we do a Yawa or a video on how to pick a trainer? And I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, we talk (laughs) about it a lot. We've talked about it with clients before. We've had phone call conversations about it, but was the camera rolling? I have no idea. And I'm like, so if somebody knows if we've done that, put it in the comments and let us know that we've actually done a video about that because I can't remember. We did. And I found it. Oh yeah. But (laughs) I found it and I responded. Pushed on the response already. Okay. But anyway, so it's cool when we see people chiming in and I really like that. So I wanted to answer this question from Stairway to Seven. Ooh. My 14-week-old GSP was really good about letting us know when he needed to go out for the first two weeks we had him. Okay. But now he has learned that we take him out and he has to stop what he's doing if he's caught peeing in the house. Sure. So now he walks and pees at the same time and doesn't even break stride, so it's really hard to catch him. How do I break him of this? He leaves 20-foot streams. Mm. And then um, Mindy Russell had chimed in. Mine is 15 weeks, and I thought he was mostly housebroken. Today, he was drinking and popping a squat, peeing at the same time. That said, we have to consider their age still. Laugh out loud, but it is frustrating, I agree. Again, 
Thanks for chiming in. And it just means that there's more than one person struggling with potty training issues with puppies, which is completely normal. Um, like Mindy it's said, pretty, it's pretty much 100% the case across the board. If you are struggling with something, you are not the only one. Right. There are not that many things that happen with dogs and pretty much everybody has the same issues. So And that's why Mindy said, you know, we have to consider their age, which is very true. I mean, we have to have realistic expectations for our puppies, but I would say if your puppy has enough pee to be walking a stream or to literally be peeing while they're drinking, they are probably overhydrated. Um, if you think about us, I mean, normally people say you should drink about a half an ounce of water per pound. So that's a lot of water. And if you keep up with that or even one full ounce per pound, you're going to pee constantly and you're going to be struggling to hold it. You're going to take a 20 minute drive into town and you're going to be like, I got to go. I got to pee. And we are adults with fully functional and developed bladders. You think about these little baby puppies that they're tanking on water, probably drinking twice as much water as they need or more. And And with the average dog, they do need more than what people do because of the type of diet they have. Everything that we eat would be considered more of a closer to a raw type diet. Where it has moisture in the food we're eating. Yeah, where the dogs are primarily eating kibble and that kibble is dry and dried down for the ability to be able to stay fresh in a bag, essentially. And they need a little more water to be able to digest that properly. But you're still looking at two ounces of water per pound per day is kind of a rough demand for what your puppy should be, um, should need to stay properly hydrated. And most puppies, especially it sounds like your puppies are drinking way more than that. So not necessarily saying, okay, I'm cutting you off, but maybe monitoring when they get access to water and they get what access morning, noon, and evening, and then no extra water throughout the day to try and curtail some of this. What we Um, actually do with our puppies is we have a water bucket outside the the door. Basically, they go out to go potty. They get the opportunity to drink water when they come back in. And within reason, there are some puppies that you can tell they're like stuck and they're just tanking and we'll redirect focus. It's Mm -hmm. like, hey, 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 get them pulled away from that. And then if they go back to it, you go, okay, you're really thirsty. If you can pull that focus and they're like, oh yeah, I've I've had enough water, then we go inside. And a lot of times I see more of like a competition-based drinking. So if if one of our puppies goes out and is drinking and Grandpa Rex comes up and he's like, yeah, I could use a drink and he starts drinking, then that gets the puppy in. Oh, we're drinking. I got to drink more. We're going to, yeah, I'm going to just drink and drink and drink. So I usually try and say, hey, let's come back to drinking when Rex is done or pull Rex away. So it's just them thinking about is this what I really need or is it just this cycle that I'm in of drink, drink, drink? Yep. So that's one thing to consider um, as well as, you know, first right away when your puppy comes home, they may be just slightly overwhelmed at being in their new space and going, I'm not sure about this. I'm a little hesitant. And as they get more bold and confident and comfortable, they're like, hey, I'm running around. I've got things to do that I'm thinking about. I don't really care if I take time to go to the bathroom because I'm having fun. So that could be another part of this equation, as well as UTIs are probably fairly common. This doesn't necessarily sound UTI-ish in a sense that it's just a huge stream. UTI behavior typically is go out pee, Little piddles everywhere. Walk a little bit further and then tinkle, tinkle, tinkle. Then walk a little bit further, tinkle, tinkle, tinkle. So, um, but those are also things that are pretty prevalent with young puppies. That small infection just gives them that feeling that they, it's kind of like an irritated, uncomfortable feeling. Like I need to pee again. I need to pee again. to go and there's nothing left. So they just drip, drip, drip. So those are things to consider. Um, So I would suggest starting that, not giving them constant access to water and just breaking that cycle if they get into, you know, I'm tanking, I'm tanking, I'm tanking. And then if you're still having other issues, definitely feel free to reach back out, ask some more questions. This would be a great place to get us more information on our Patreon platform, Mm -hmm. which is um, our online dog training platform, which isn't just for dog training either. If you have questions about anything, if you've got questions about potty training, or if you've got questions about hunting or any of those things, that's a great place to ask and where we can have a true conversation because sometimes it takes a little bit of back and forth to find out all the details, all the information, or even a video to see what's actually going on. So we can say, hey, this is the one little thing that I'm seeing that you may have not actually mentioned in an actual conversation. Absolutely. So really good questions and one that lots of people have. 
All right, let's see what question do we have next? This is a good question because it relates a little bit with um, our trip that we just took to New York. So oh, okay, good. A little bit. So Nick, and i sorry if I pronounced your last name wrong. Nick Offerman. Gautreau. Gautreau? Gautreau? I don't know. Sorry, like I said, don't know how to pronounce it. Um, when y'all had Sprig, how did y'all increase the distance on his retrieves? Right now I'm having trouble with it. I don't know if it's confidence or she just doesn't understand. I'm also 14, so I'm learning. So we love helping everyone and definitely kids that are interested in training their dogs themselves and getting really involved. So um, great question. We actually just picked up a little lab puppy. So we're going to be doing some more videos, filling in some of the blanks, which, you know, extending marks is always a good one. Did you want to look at something? Nope. Just itching my face. (laughs) Um, So... This was a really good question as well as we just went out and we're helping Bob actually shoot some videos and he's working with a young dog named Dash. Yeah. And he's working on extending marks too. And he actually put together a little video drill that'll be coming out on his YouTube channel pretty quick. Yep. The YouTube channel is Lone Duck. You can search it. Lone Duck. He's got a few videos on there now and we help get a couple more that'll be coming out very soon. I know. Um, so I would go and check that out, but essentially what we're doing is we're working out further and further distances and, and typically by using some form of a pattern, if you will, in the sense that your bumper thrower, which you're going to need help, you're going to need some assistance. So that all the bumpers don't come from you. Yeah. Which is a big, which is a big and common issue that people struggle with, with extending marks, you know, typically your hand throwing bumpers and they get really ingrained in this. 25 to 30 yard throw range, however far you can throw them, that's where they get stuck and hung up on through conditioning. Well, you have your bird thrower or bumper thrower out in front of you and they don't move, but you continuously back up. So the puppy is used to running to the same area and you're just increasing. So they're throwing a bumper out here and your puppies run into it there. And if they need a little extra help, because they get stuck, they, they headed that way, but then they're just here. Then you're bumper thrower can throw them another mark that they visually see that pulls them again to that same area. And then once they've done a few retrieves at that distance, you can back up so that you're increasing the distance, but the bumpers are still all falling in the same area. So So it builds confidence. I hope that that makes sense. If it doesn't, I'm definitely going to recommend that you hit up uh, Lone Duck's YouTube channel and then just search through their videos. There's going to be one in there called something to the effect of extending your dog's marks. Something about that. We don't know what the title will be, but it'll be one of their new videos coming out really soon. So Absolutely. that was a really great question. All right. I bet we've got time for one more in this part. Okay. Okay. This one is also good because it relates a little bit back to Lone Duck from Eric Doan. Our question for the upcoming Yawa um, would be the following and plays into your New York trip to Lone Duck. What's the time frame between allowing the pup to acclimate to the new environment and beginning training? And this is from Eric, Genevieve, and Bridget. P.S. We settled on Jackson because they'd asked us for some name ideas. So uh-huh. um, they follow a lot of our stuff and are always chiming in on our Instagram lives and things like that. So I was like, we got to answer one of these questions here. Absolutely. And like I said, we just went out to pick up our new little puppy from New York, um, from Lone Duck. And we are getting ready to shoot a video on the first 24 hours with our puppy being back and explaining, you know, what the expectations are, because that's a big one. Um, we get questions all the time. So if you want to start crate training, can they sleep in bed with you the first night? Well, that's going to set them up for that expectation that I don't need to sleep in my crate. I got to sleep in bed and that was so amazing and comfy and wonderful. I was with my people. And then they're like, wait, what a minute is I'm not going to sleep in this crate this night. I just slept in bed and then they throw a bigger fit than they may have if you had started that crate training right off the bat. But definitely they do need to feel comfortable and acclimate and make sure that, you know, they're ready to start some of that clicker training and things like that. Um, Food motivation is really important. It's important to remember that a lot of these puppies that are coming from litters have only eaten with a litter mate. So feeling comfortable eating separately, we need to make sure that they're comfortable with that. Now this little guy... (laughs) He's a little food monster. He's a food monster. Which so, is awesome. Yeah, it's it. awesome. He's going to be clicker training from the get-go um, because he's ready for that. His age also, you know, he's eight weeks old. He's going to be ready for that. Sometimes people bring puppies home younger. 
which we've already talked about in other videos about what Mm -hmm. a good age to bring a puppy home is. But, you know, if you're bringing home a six week old puppy, which we definitely would say that's not an ideal age to bring a puppy home, um, they're probably not going to be ready to start clicker training because they've just barely gotten to the point where they're weaned off of mama at that point and are not super comfortable eating kibble on their own yet. Mm -mm. So definitely there's a few things that go into that equation, but some of those behaviors that we want to really set our puppy up for success with crate training, starting to work on potty training. It's not like we're going to be, oh, well, today's your first day home, so you can pee in the house wherever you feel like it or poop, but we'll start tomorrow with going outside to potty. No, yeah, all that of those, sounds like a great way to screw everything up. Yeah, all of those important things that you're going to want to develop behaviors in your adult dog, those need to all start right away. You know, jumping up on you and biting you. We got to start saying no to those things in the very beginning. And then you can start incorporating some of the more formal training of, you know, clicker training and obedience stuff pretty quickly thereafter. Yeah. Set up what your routine is going to be and have realistic expectations. You know, not everything's going to be perfect day one. Uh, In fact, probably most things are not going to be perfect in day one, but the closer that you can get to what you're going to be doing and what the schedule is going to be moving forward in the beginning, the better off and the faster you're going to get to where you want to be. Great question. Awesome. That's all we have for part two. Yep. So we're going to take a short break here and we'll be back with part three here very soon. All right, and welcome to part three of this week's Yawa. If this is your first time to our channel, we appreciate you stopping in and want to say you should check out part one and two of the series. We covered a lot of great things. And lastly, hit the subscribe button. We really appreciate that. So we are drinking coffee this morning because it is morning and we're shooting this video. But question number one that I want to talk about real quick has to do with bourbon. Ooh, bourbon. Ha! From Andrew Hotsman. Andrew. Question one. Okay, got it. Ethan's must try bourbon for the novice. Ooh, um, so this is going to be a tough one. Uh, And the reason that it's a tough one is because bourbon in general is extremely palatable. What is the word exactly? I don't know. It's very, 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 very dependent on what your individual flavor is palate likes and doesn't like. But I'm going to say for me, a go-to to get into that's not expensive because bourbon and the bourbon train has gotten kind of blown up. Used to be bourbon was like middle of the road whiskey and you could buy it for 30 to $50. So it's not going to completely break the bank as far as the bottle of booze goes, but some of it has gotten stupid. And with the bourbon highly hype allocated and whatever, and, yeah. highly allocated, hard to find. People are blowing up prices on stuff. Um, even stuff that was normally priced is blowing up. Things like one that is a, a big favorite of mine is Blanton's. And now what used to be a, I think somewhere in the vicinity of a $50 bottle. So on the high end of what bourbon used to be now sells in the store for anywhere between 80 and 200, depending on where you're at, just because it's hard to get. So what I would say though, on my end Buffalo Trace Distillery, I'm a huge fan of, and they have a lot of different things that kind of fall under that umbrella. All of them fit my flavor palette. Um, I enjoy a majority of them, and one that you can pretty regularly find, it's easy to drink, tastes pretty good, would be their original Buffalo Trace. You can find it. It's like, if you find it, it's like a $20 bottle, and it's good. It is not by any means top, top end or whatever, but it's good. It's a lot of people's daily sipper, if you say that. Um, but I would say try Buffalo Trace, just their standard bottle. And if you don't like that at all, then you're probably not going to care for too many bourbons, but um, Buffalo Trace would be would be a good go-to if you're, if you're interested in getting into it. And then the last thing, which I'm not a bourbon person. Sure. I've tried a few, but you always mention like, if it's barrel proof or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So pay attention in the early, in the early stages. Um, uh, he's been on a video before, uh, 
Charlie, a good friend of mine, he says he prefers barrel proof as the good Lord intended it to come out of the barrel or something. He makes some comment about that. But um, pay, pay attention to the whiskey proof. That's going to change a lot in how easy it is to drink, sip, whatever. Um, I would say that your, I think Buffalo Trace is like an 80 proof or something to that effect. And when you're looking at those, it's going to be a lot, it's going to be a lot less burn to it, a little more of the easy to drink. If it is a higher proof and it's something that you like, sometimes people add water or an ice cube or a couple ice cubes. Um, it all just depends. And all of those things are going to change the way it tastes. So it really comes down to personal preference, but Buffalo Trace would be a good place to start if you're asking me what you are. Good answer, question, combo. Next question, talking bird dog stuff now. Okay. If you ran- Oh, same guy. Same guy. Ah, He said question one and question two. He's he's getting two. Um, If you ran just a flushing dog with a beeper collar, Uh what setting would you use? For reference, stocked birds, not wild, with cover being well over the dog's back, run mode, or only beep if needed to locate. By the way, Patreon has been well worth the investment. Thank you. Oh, awesome. Thanks for the shout out on that one. Um, I would say for me, if I was running a dog in an environment where they are completely not visible most of the time, and we do this even with our pointing dogs, I run them on beep mode. So it'd be the run mode portion. It's going to be beeping all the time. If we've dumped dogs into the cattails, it's completely over their head. I can't see them. I can kind of get a gist sometimes when they bump into some cattails and poof, a little cattail bomb goes off as they're running. But I'm going to run it on beep mode all the time so that they don't, because it can happen very quickly. It's like they get in, there's little trails that run through the thick cover and whatever else. And they go from, oh, they're right there 20 yards away in gun range to whoa, now they're 100 yards away or something to that effect. So having that beep on is going to help you keep track of them, especially when you can't see them. But especially with a flushing dog, because at least with our pointing dogs, a lot of times they're going to potentially stop, should stop. Goal is for them to stop on those birds. And then if they're on, you know, point mode, then it's going to start beeping and we're going to be like, oh, I just like poured coffee all over my face. Sorry. Okay, that's fine. I was like, well, I just poured him another cup, so I didn't know if it was too hot, too hot. Um, but then they're going to point, and then that beep's going to start going, and we're going to say, oh, there's a dog there. They're on point. Let's go check it out. Whereas I think your flushing that, dogs, yeah, go ahead. they're going to be flushing, so you need to kind of know where they're at, especially when you can't see them. So being on that run mode would be where I would be at. And I think that on average, people view that beeper collar because it has the point mode in it as a pointing dog only collar unit. And I'm a huge proponent for put those beeper collars on all of your dogs because if they're within a reasonable distance of you, it's pretty easy to hit that locate button, figure out where they're at, find them. And aside from having a beeper on there, the rest of the features are like any other e-collar. So when we're talking about a beeper collar, we use DT Systems Wrap 1450. They also have another unit that we've used a little bit. The big differences between them, this is going to be the SPT 2430 series. They have a one dog and a two dog option, but I primarily use that 1450 unit. And the reason for that is it's expandable to three dogs where the SPT is a maximum of two. If you only need one or two dogs, my go-to and recommendation would be the SPT series. It's fully rechargeable. The has 50 levels. It's got a lot longer range. And all in all, it's a sound unit. The 1450 is a great entry level, if you will, unit. Um, But if the SBT came in a three dog, I would hands down own only the SBT series collar. So really great question. The next question that I really want to answer is from Alden Philco. So if I mess that up, I'm sorry. Uh, First of all, he said finished. Because in our last Yawa, we said, yeah, most people don't make it to the end of these videos. So if you do, hit finished in the comments below because we don't feel like a lot of people make it all the way to the end. And it's a great holy point. holy cow, there was like a finish, whole finish, bunch finish, of comments finish, about finish. 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 So, so thank, thank you. you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank yes. you, guys. Um, it really helps us to feel good about what we're doing. All of this stuff takes time and we do it for you. We enjoy doing it. But sometimes there is that little bit of is this really worth doing? Are people really watching? Are they enjoying and getting a lot out of it? Or are we just sitting here doing it for ourselves? 
So thank you everybody who commented in there. Now, the other side of that with those comments, if we don't get to your question, sorry, we're trying to get to as many questions as we can, but um, if you have a question, throw it in there. If we don't get to your question, check us out on Patreon. That's where we're getting to questions every single day. I'm usually only taking one day off a week. That's typically Sundays, but it is pretty much within 24 hours we're getting your questions answered. So first of all, thanks for finishing the last Yawa, but you said you bring the puppies with you on trips. Are the two going to be ready for this season? So I thought this was a great question because first of all, this whole Yawa, one, two, and three, we've been really talking about our new little lab puppy because we're super excited about him. We just went to New York to pick him up. And we refer to him as our new little lab puppy because he doesn't have a name yet. Yeah. We're going to be asking for help with that in his first video that we introduce him being at our house. So Look for that video and give us your comment on that video. Not this one. Not, not this, this one. one. Not this one. The other video so that we can go through all of those for name suggestions. But we've been talking all about him and haven't mentioned Zephyr or Thunder in this video Yawa series. And we haven't forgotten about them. So don't freak out and be like, what about those guys? The thing that we have here, which is a luxury, because um, it really is, is an amazing team of people that work with us. They've spent a lot of time learning here and training and figuring out how to train and develop dogs via the standing stone method, if you will. And those puppies are rotating through our team as we accomplish things. And you're going to see videos of them pop up. We're trying to get worked in. We're kind of running out of days for a majority of the content that we produce, but we're trying to get worked in an update on Zephyr, an update on Thunder, and now an update on the new little Black Lab puppy every single week. But we also have going right now our trained retrieve series or formal retrieving with work Legend. with Legend, and he is doing phenomenal. I hope you guys are checking those out because it's definitely good advanced work for anybody that's kind of rolling into that there's Eight a whole month playlist to 16 on it. month range of their dog. Yeah. And that's, there's a whole playlist. So mm -hmm. you don't have to hunt and peck for those videos. Just go to our playlists. It's under the formal retrieving training. We, we're showing step-by-step step through that. And then we also have the even more advanced, which there's a little more time in between those videos because we're kind of showing this is the step. We're going to wrap it a few it. times and then we'll show you the next progression. I'm trying to include as much as possible in there, but we got a lot of different series and a lot of different dogs working and through things. with Hatch, yes. who's Legend's daddy. So it's kind of yes. cool, too, to follow Legend stuff, follow Hatch's stuff, and go, holy cow, this is really cool to watch son and father go it's through really, some of this advanced stuff and see some similarities between them. 100%. And it's really an extremely cool group of dogs that we have right now. All of them have a ton of ability. All of them have a lot of trainability and desire to work, which is, which is fun to show off. So, But, yeah, so we've got a lot of content that we're trying to get put out and there's only so many days in the week. So bear with us as we're trying to get updates on those guys um, as well, but they have not been forgotten about and they're mixing in with our other puppy and they're mixing in with some of the trainers that work for us. Uh, Tessa's got a little boy, so it's really great. Continued socializ socialization, that word, for both Thunder and Zephyr that get to switch out. Um, it's so cute to hear Grayson say Thunder because he's been the one that she's had for quite a bit now um, mm -hmm. while we were in New York and stuff. So it's, And now we're actually changing up that dynamic. So yep. Thunder is coming back where he is more mature. And then we have the little bitty puppy. He can actually start to understand some things like, hey, quit playing so rough. Hey, you need to take this toy over and go play by yourself, not just attack the little puppy all the time where Zephyr is still in that close enough range where it's just like a constant rolling wrestle match. Almost like litter mates. And so we're trying yeah. to separate that out a little bit so that Zephyr is going to get a little bit of more one-on-one -on -one time. As in well as potty age, training. As well as continued potty training. Thunder has more bladder control and a better understanding of being able to wait so we can get the little puppy out first. All of these things are sequences and we wouldn't be able to do all of this without the amazing team that we have here. Right. We'd go insane. Literally insane. Yeah, probably. So, but they ask, are these two going to be ready this season? And that's a really great question because, um, we, 100%. I mean, come on. Well, there's the short answer. I was going to give you the long answer, <laughs> but give the long answer. It's better okay. than mine. So the long answer is we're working towards the things that we say are requirements before dogs can go on mm -hmm. their first hunting trip. So we just started Thunder's collar conditioning to yes. recall. 
It went well. If it you went haven't well. seen that video, has it even up yet? It is. Okay. It if you is. haven't seen that video, you need to go watch it. Meow. And so he's doing a really great job starting that collar conditioning to recall. We have actually had him out pointing pigeons in launchers and we've done his gunfire introduction. So he is basically ready to go a little more repping, building a little more confidence, but he has met the requirements the prerequisites, if you will, to to go hunting. Is he going to be super productive right now if we took him today? Mm, No, but he's still got, I don't know, we're going to go out in September and then you're going to be guiding in October. That's, you know, two months away still before he'd be going. Almost a full two to three months. I would say Zeph's probably going to miss out on South Dakota this year. Right. He'll be a little young. Yeah, but he'll have a lot of opportunities as far as Bird numbers in Kansas look fantastic. Bird numbers in Nebraska look fantastic. Bird numbers in Texas and Oklahoma um, look absolutely fantastic. So I think this year is going to be a boom year for hunting, which is a great time to be a little puppy. Yeah, because they're going to get a ton of experience. So when Ethan goes to South Dakota guiding, Thunder might get to make the trip this year. Potentially, we got to do the math. Got to do the math. And we got to spaces. Yeah, got to do the math. And also, when he's guiding, he's guiding for clients. We need to have dogs out there that are being productive and finding birds and getting a lot out of it. um, Because worst case scenario, he may go along just for the experience of travel. Yeah. Even though he may not get to hunt a ton, he'll be on the truck. He'll get to go out. He'll get to run around the truck. He'll get to get back in the truck. Um, but that travel aspect of things is huge for the development, socialization. It's just kind of showing that traveling and hunting and these things are a way of life. Yeah, it's a complete some... expectation for a dog that's part of our family is yep. we're going to travel, we're going to hunt, you're going to get on a chain gang, you're going to get in a trailer, all those things, and you're going to travel with us um, and eat on the road and all those things that they really need to be a well-socialized, well-rounded part of a hunting string of dogs. But then we're going to go back to South Dakota for ourselves. And those are the opportunities and the trips that we're doing for ourselves that Ethan and I are more about the dogs than just the shoot and just the killing. We, yeah, we want to go hunting. We want to have the opportunity and experience of hunting on some of these other hunts and I'm other birds. I'm not all about just hiking. You know, we need to see some birds. We need to but see But the dogs need to see some birds because we're yes. there for the dogs and we're there for them to gain experience, become you know, ready for their next level of training. And that always requires a season of birds first. We can't expect more out of them until they've really, truly learned their purpose out there to hunt. And so we go places that we're going to find birds, but we handle the dogs. We give them opportunities. We help them through situations. You know, if they mismark a bird, it's not like I'm going to just go out there and pick it up for them. I'm going to work them downwind. I'm going to help them make the connection. When so we have younger dogs and I'm guiding even with a dog that meets the criteria to be part of the guide string. I'll say to those guys, Hey, that bird's dead. Just leave it there. I want to get this puppy over there to figure it out so that they can improve, you know, rather than just going, ah, well, I missed it. Throw it in your bag. Slow down your hunt. Take that time, teach them when they're young so that the next year and the next year, you know, they fall into that category of truly having an understanding rather than by year three, they're kind of starting to figure it out. It's year one, you took all of the time, made all of the sacrifices, maybe didn't shoot quite as much yourself so you could help handle so that two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine seasons down the road, you've got the dog that you want to hunt with. Definitely. So that was a great question that I definitely wanted to answer. Do we have time for more? Yeah, I think we've got time for another question. Okay. Okay. I've got to decide which one. Okay. This is a good question. I wanted to touch on it because um, it's talking about puppies. Robin Bay. Okay. How often do you have dogs come in for hunt training and they fail? All litters are not equal. Have you had pairings that were failures? What do you do with the pups? I know you introduce the pups to different situations and can judge their personalities. Is this the tool you use for giving the thumbs up or the thumbs down? So it's a a really interesting question. It is. And I definitely thought it was one that maybe is a little controversial or there's going to be some of those um, unpopular opinions and brutally honest moments, which we need some of those sometimes. Sure we do. So first of all, I'm going to start off by saying Not all breedings are created equal. That's something to, you know, preface what you said there. But at the same time, every single dog has a ceiling. Now, that ceiling is going to be the top level that they can be trained to. 
Now that may be variable a little bit depending on less experienced, more experienced handlers. I may be able to raise what you would have considered your dog's ceiling a little bit just because uh, I, we have a little more experience, you know, but at the same time, there still is a limit. It's and not going to exponentially increase. No, it's going to no, no. slightly maybe a increase. little bit, a little bump, you know, just the professional handling on something may be able to take it just a little bit farther, but it's, it's one of those things that as a young individual, I was an athlete. Okay. I went to, um, football camps. I had some eyes on me as a potential of being a collegiate level athlete, but probably not a D one collegiate level athlete. And even if I did have the potential to do that, I definitely do not have the things to go pro period. Just don't, I have a ceiling. I am a human and I have limitations. Now I could set my mind to it. I could work really hard, but I still have limitations. And the same thing falls into Um, Same thing falls into our dogs. We have people that see all of the awesome titles that we have on our breeding stock and all of the titles that we have rolling through stuff. And we'll get questions like, hey, I want my dog to be a master hunter like their dad, or I want my dog to be a master hunter like I see your dogs. And we go, okay, well, let's take a look here. um, It's not easy. And and not all dogs are going to be able to make it to that level. So... And definitely it has to do with your goals too, because I think a lot of times people say, I want my dog to be a master hunter, but they don't necessarily know what that truly means or entails or the time commitment or financial commitment to get their dog to that level if they're sending it off for professional training. Even Um, if they're doing it themselves. So when we're training our dogs ourselves, the financial commitment to putting those titles on the dogs is still substantial. I mean, you have travel, you have birds, you have, if you value your time as anything, you add that up and it starts adding up pretty dang quick, but then you have testing fees. You have your travel expenses, which is kind of the the travel aspect of things, but all of that stuff adds up and it isn't cheap. So, yeah. And not everyone necessarily truly needs or wants a master hunter once they understand what that means and what that is or a BC or anything. But definitely we get dogs in for training that are struggling that, we're doing all the things, we're pulling out all the hat tricks, we're trying to make this dog successful, and they are slow about it. So we have to have real conversations, honest conversations with owners, and it's never easy. It's not something it's that not. we want to do. Nobody I wants don't. to hear your kid sucks or your kid's not doing well. You know what I mean? And that's what these dogs essentially are for people is yeah. they're, they're children. And I'm sure that you guys watching feel similar. And you feel that your dog is the best. A lot of people do. and Or they you, want their dog to be the best. And so. But we have to be realistic and we have to be honest because if we call and say, your dog's doing so great, they're amazing, we're, we're going to be able to do so much with them and then we kind of fall we short of that because yeah. they truly don't have it. Their ceiling is a lot lower or to get there is going to take a lot longer than the owners are truly ready to commit to. Um, and so we have to have those real conversations and they're not easy conversations because both Ethan and I, the whole goal of like our channel and our program is to help dogs to succeed and be the best that they can be and educate people. And the last thing that I want to do is call someone and tell them your dog's struggling. I want to call and give the great updates that your dog is flying through this training, we're going to be able to do more than we originally expected, or they're going to be ready to go home maybe a little sooner than we expected. Um, Those are the conversations I like to have. Um, But unfortunately, you do have to have those difficult conversations every once in a while. And that's just because you have to be honest. So as far as do dogs fail or wash out or whatever, I'm going to say for the most part, no. But the level that they can be trained to is different. And when we talk to people and say, what are your expectations? What do you want this dog to be able to accomplish? Are you hunting 20 days a year? Are you hunting two days a year? Is obedience more important or the hunting aspect of things? We just have real conversations with people and say, you know, this is where I feel that we can get your dog in this amount of time. And if you're good with that, then excellent. There have been a few dogs over the years that it comes down to that People have higher expectations than we're able to accomplish. And, you know, it's, but it didn't happen all that often. Yep. Or, you know, we say it's taking us a lot longer to get to your goal. I still think we can get there. It's going to take longer. 
are you willing to leave your dog for that amount of time? Because ultimately I can't force people to leave their dogs with us for an extra three months because their dog is struggling and is slow. Um, it's ultimately their decision. And so it comes down to what priorities they have and, you know, importance wise, they say, no, I'm going to just pick them up. The obedience is solid. Maybe the hunting side of things is a little weaker than I would have liked, but ultimately they're our family dog. We want them back. We miss them. That sort of thing. Absolutely. Well, that was a great question. It was a great question. There was a little bit about like litters and things like that. So we do always evaluate our litters. um, Mm -hmm. And a great way for us to be able to do that is through the Novda natural ability test that we like to watch our dogs perform through. Um, as well as we get a ton of our puppies back in for training, which is amazing. We absolutely love working with our dogs. A, it allows us to evaluate litters, but B, you know, we're breeding the dogs that we're breeding because we, we like those dogs. So it's super fun to get a puppy back in from those pairings because it allows us to evaluate the litter, but also to say, Hey, you train a lot like your mama, or you train a lot like your daddy, or, you know, your mom did the same thing to me. Um, so it allows us to evaluate litters and, We have been moving our breeding program in a direction for a long time that I would not say that we have failures. Um, We have dogs that maybe are weaker in the water than we'd like. So then we reevaluate and say, these dogs aren't going to make duck dogs. They will be able to run out and pick up a, you know, pheasant out of the water, but they're not going to go tear up a marsh for 20 minutes looking for a down duck. They're not going to want to do that. There's definitely different strengths and different weaknesses, but as far as a true quote unquote, wash out. I don't know that we had one in our program in a very long time to ever. Yeah. I, mean, I, I can't think of somebody specifically, just dogs that had different abilities. And um, usually we've got a pretty good idea of what they're going to be. And we put a lot of emphasis on matching the right people to the right dogs. So. And the right litters. And then also like our dogs have that natural ability side of things, but also the trainability side of things. So enough exposure, a little bit more training in a specific area. You know, if they're maybe not wanting to back as naturally, they're looking at them, but they're like, eh, I'd rather be the one pointing a little bit of woe training. And then boom, they're hitting those backs. Um, so natural ability there, then the trainability is also there. So you can work both of those things together to have the dogs be what the owners want them to be for sure. So I would say not failures, but definitely they allow us to reevaluate and say, I definitely want to do that litter again. This is going to be a repeat breeding. This was awesome. Or I say, you know, they were a little weaker in this specific place. I think we should reevaluate and try to a different male for their next breeding and see what we get that time. So, and there's a lot more that goes into it than just pick this dog and this dog and see what we get. We've got two good dogs and put them together. We should get more good dogs. There's a lot more that goes into it, which is going to be a whole nother topic about talking about pedigrees and coefficients of inbreeding and unique dogs and things like that. But there's a lot that goes into it than just that dog looks like it'd be a good pair for that dog. So great question. And I definitely wanted to answer it because, you know, unpopular opinions and all. Hey, thanks everybody for watching. If we didn't get to your question this week, we are sorry. We've done our best to do this and um, definitely be hitting us up there at patreon.com slash standing stone kennels. We're answering questions there every day. And if you can't wait, hit us up there. If you can wait and just want to ask us another question, throw it in the comments below and we'll see if we can get to it next week. I'm the guy with the pink gun. And I'm Kat, the dog trainer. And we'll see you in the next video.